0: We are in a series uh, for the last few weeks. It's called It's Complicated Navigating Your Relational World. And one of the theme sentences of our series is Great relationships are possible, but great relationships are not very probable. And they're not very probable unless we start as believers, as followers of Jesus, unless we start putting into practice some of the teachings of Christ in our relationships with those who are most close to us. So if you notice, uh, the next uh, scripture is, comes from Romans chap- chapter 12 and verse 2, and it talks about a new way of thinking that leads to a new way of living. So it says here in Romans, it says do not copy the behavior and the customs of this world. You know, when we grow up and we live in this world, the world likes to squeeze us into its own mold and likes to say this is what the strong values are in this world. This is what's important. And uh, you need to live this way. And when we become followers of Christ, sometimes we learn that the world's way is not the best way. Sometimes God has a much better way for us to live. So he says, don't copy the customs and behavior of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. So the change in our behavior begins in the change in the way that we think. And then it says, then you will learn. To know God's will for you and His will is good and pleasing and perfect. And those of us who have followed Christ for a while can testify that, you know, God's ways are so much better than the world's ways. Following Jesus' plan for my life has resulted in so much more blessing than my life ever would have been without Him. So as we get into the message, will you bow your heads with me for a moment of prayer? Lord Jesus, we want you to be lifted up today. We want you to get all the praise and the honor and the glory. And Lord, we're asking you to come with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity, give me unction as I speak today. Um, And we're praying that your Holy Spirit would uh, fill your words with life and power and inspiration. And we pray, Father, for all of us listening to have ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart that understands, and Lord, give us a will that is willing to submit our will to your will and to do things your way rather than our way. So Lord, fill us and help us to follow you better and bless us as we do. And all these things we pray in Christ's name, amen. You know, when it comes to relationships, uh, a lot of us have been told in our lives this romantic notion, and the notion is that opposites attract. You know, sometimes a thinker, sometimes a real cerebral person is attracted to a feeler. Sometimes we notice what's lacking in our own lives and we're attracted to that in somebody else. Sometimes a very structured person is attracted to a real spontaneous, unstructured person. Wow, this person is so much fun. They're just ready to drop everything and do something fun at, at, at the uh, drop of a hat. Um, but sometimes those differences over time, you know, in the initial infatuation stage of a relationship, those opposites do attract. Sometimes later on in the relationship, as we get used to the person, we see, wow, you really are a planner. You really are a structured person. And then you almost say to yourself, that really organized person that I married, now it seems like she's become an OCD maniac. So sometimes the, 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 the opposites that attracted us in initial can drive us nuts uh, later on in a relationship. Um, I do want to say that when this is one of the more difficult messages that we're going to be talking about in this series, because there is no difference that has greater potential for pain and frustration and hurt in a relationship than when you marry someone and then you experience a spiritual mismatch. Now, what is the definition of a spiritual mismatch? You see it up on the screen there. It says, a spiritual mismatch occurs when you do not share the most important thing in your life, and in, and in our case, as followers of Christ, that would be our relationship with God through Jesus. That would be our Christian faith. That would be our idea that we want to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors self. We want to put God first in every area of our lives and let Him govern us, so we are surrender our will to His will. So... That would be the thing that is most important in our lives. And what a spiritual mismatch is, is when that thing that matters most to us is not shared with the person who is most important in our lives. And so we find ourselves having a spiritual mismatch. Now, some of us went into a relationship like that with another person, and maybe at that point in our lives when we started that relationship with a person, maybe we weren't walking as close to God as we once were. Maybe we had sort of, Uh, gone a a different pathway. And God wasn't first place in our life. And so we met somebody and we had a lot in common and we were attracted to them. We ended up uh, falling in love and getting married. And then sometime later, we realized that, that God needed to be first in our lives, that we uh, became aware of the Christian faith, we heard the good news, we embraced Christ, we began to follow Him, and then all of a sudden, that the things that we used to have in common, the practices that we used to share with the other person, suddenly we find ourselves drifting apart, and there's more of a spiritual mismatch. Maybe over the course of time in a relationship, you were the one who changed. You were the one who, who came to follow Christ in a closer way, and now you find yourself just more estranged from that person. Some of you are parents of kids. Some of you have parents, or maybe you have in-laws, or siblings, or cousins, or people that you're close to in a relationship that you're uh, with most of your life, and you find out that you do not share the same spiritual values. You have chosen to walk a different spiritual path with your walk with Jesus than that other person, and now you're in a spiritual mismatch. There's one other category and that's that both of you could be followers of Christ but there may be a, a vast difference in the in the level of spiritual intensity which with with which you follow Christ. Maybe somebody is really on fire for God and they're really excited and they wanna, they wanna tell everybody about Jesus wherever they go. And the other person is sort of uh, not so on fire and maybe they're a little more tepid in their spiritual walk and they think that you're becoming kind of a, a Jesus freak. <laughs> you're becoming a religious fanatic. And that creates a spiritual mismatch. So let me begin just by asking you a couple of questions. Have you ever ever been in a relationship, a close relationship, with someone with whom you were spiritually mismatched? It doesn't have to be a spouse, although oftentimes it is. It could be a good friend, brother, sister, parent, child, boyfriend, girlfriend. And if you ever were in a relationship like that where you were spiritually mismatched, what effect did that mismatch have on your relationship? What effect did that have on your relationship? I want to talk to three groups of people this morning. The first group that I want to talk to is is the people who are not married. Now, maybe it's because you're a young teenager. Maybe it's because you're a young adult. You've never been married. Maybe you are now divorced or separated or maybe you're widowed and you find yourself single again. Uh, I do I, I want to talk to you because the Bible says something very clear to those of you who are single and maybe in search of of a mate for life. And it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 where the apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he's talking about the difference between uh, between following Christ and loving God with all of our heart and and separating ourselves from worldly things. And then finding ourselves in a relationship with somebody who is a spiritual mismatch. Paul says very clearly, he says these words Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? And later on in the verse, he says, What does a believer have in common? with an unbeliever. Well, you may have some things in common, but when you don't share the most important things in your life, your deep walk of faith, you have a spiritual mismatch, and it can create a lot of tension. You know, it says don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Where does that term yoked together comes from? Because you know, I'm not a farmer and I've never been a farmer, and we don't live in an agrarian society anymore, so we need to try to understand what Paul was driving at in that verse. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. That term originates in the Old Testament. In the law of Moses, uh, Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 22, in verse 10, he says, do not plow with an oxen or a donkey harnessed together. Do not plow with an oxen or a donkey harnessed together. They're two different animals, obviously. An oxen is big and strong but slow. A donkey may not be as strong as an ox, but they're faster and they have a mind of their own. And it says it's just going to be a disaster. Don't yoke these two animals that are so different together. Do not be yoked together. And, And I just want you to know, you know... I'm a sinner, and I'm saved by grace just like all of you, and I've broken a lot of God's commands. The, the one thing that I can say, and how this verse just encourages me, is even though I've broken a lot of commands with God, I have never broken this command, not in my life, and I never plan on bread. I am never going to yoke together an ox and a donkey, and I hope you aren't either. So, so we got that going for us. At least I never broke this command, Right? When it says, do not be yoked together, in other words, do not be in a significant relationship with or do not become lifetime partners with someone who is in a different place spiritually than you are. Paul here likens the follower of Jesus to being righteous and being in the light, not because the person is perfect and righteous in their behavior, but because by faith we have been made righteous with God in our, through our, our faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul says... Uh, That we're righteous in Jesus, we're walking in the light, and he contrasts that person with somebody who is still outside of God's family, somebody who is associated with wickedness and darkness. It's a strong warning here, because I think Paul is saying, do not be yoked together, because if if you do, you're not going to be walking in the same direction anymore. It says in Amos chapter 3, it says, can two people walk together unless they are both in agreement? And And the rhetorical answer is no. It's a strong warning here. God knows that you won't be going in the same direction. One person, most likely you, you could be the one getting excited and passionate about following Jesus, and the other person just isn't there. And over time, it won't work out very well. And over time, you may look at the other person and say, wow, Uh, I'm not going to be yoked together anymore with an ox and a donkey. And guess which one uh, looks at the other person? Guess which animal, you know, you consider the other person to be? (laughs) Maybe the donkey. Um, For young people and singles too, not being... Equally yoked means that you have to stay away with, and this was something that was a real popular phrase when I was growing up as a young adult in the Christian faith. One thing it, it, we were always told to avoid as young adults, it says, guys, do not get into missionary dating. Men, if you see a woman over there and you are attracted to her, you cannot just say, well, I'm attracted to her, so we need to start going out, and I'll find out sometime later on what her faith story is or where she is in her faith story, or whatever that is, it doesn't matter, because I'm a follower of Jesus, and as, a, as an ambassador for Christ, You know, I need to witness to everybody in the world, so that beautiful girl over there, I'll just go out with her, and I'll witness to her, and I'll share my faith with her, and maybe she'll cross the line of faith. And in the meantime, you know, I get this beautiful date on my arm. And the same thing with women, with young women who sees this attractive young man over there. You need to find out something more about that man other than, wow, he's a tall drink of water and he's really good looking. He's tall, dark, and handsome, or whatever that is. You need to find out more about that other person and not get too far into the relationship where there's, you know, quote, no turning back, and now you're in this lifetime partnership with somebody with whom you are spiritually mismatched. Do not go into the missionary dating. It's much more likely, by the way, and this is true, You know, you think, oh, I'll be the missionary. I'll be the follower of Jesus. You know, the light will dispel the darkness, right? I will have more influence on this person than she will have on me. Do you know in all likelihood and what I've seen in my life and my observation and experience, it's so much more likely that the non-Christian, that the person is not in God's family, so much more likely that that person is going to affect you in a negative way more than you are going to affect them in a positive way. So it's very clear, teaching of Scripture, do not be yoked together with an unbeliever. If you do, some bad things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to miss out on a great deal of shared intimacy. You cannot share with them at the deepest level what matters most to you. You're going to miss out on that level of intimacy. And then number two, you're going to be pulled apart by these differences you're going to have these different values. I, I can see the person, you know, getting up on Sunday morning or Saturday night saying, where are you going? I'm going, I'm going to church. Well, how long are you going to be gone? Uh, probably two or three hours. Well, why are you going to church today? Why don't you just stay here with me? Why don't we read the paper and drink orange juice and coffee and have a great time? Or why don't we go to brunch somewhere? Or why don't we go on a, a trip? Well, I'm willing to do all that with you, but it's got to be church first. Well, so now, so now it's like the church... And as the person gets more into into following Christ and more active in church activities, that just creates more of a barrier with the other person. So the Bible's clear. Do not go down that road. Now, I understand when the Bible says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. This Bible command can be so frustrating, mostly because it greatly narrows the playing field. Does it not? It narrows the playing field. It can make it even harder to find somebody who follows Christ like you do and wants to be a lifetime partner in marriage. You know, a lot of people try to find the right person. They go to eHarmony or they go to christianmingle.com. And I've done a lot of weddings over the last few years, and I can tell you at least half of the people that I've talked to, adults who are getting married. So how did you meet? Where did you find each other? and it used to be at the workplace, or it used to be in a church activity, used to be in a group meeting at church, and now it's like, oh, we met on eHarmony, or we met on ChristianMingle.com. I've just got one warning to you about those Christian websites. Those warning, those Christian dating sites that seem to claim that you can find just the right person to marry, those, peop- those websites are also, there may be some gems in the bunch, there may see, be some good apples in that barrel, But there's also a bunch of phonies that are on there. There are a bunch of people who are claiming to be godly and spiritual, and oftentimes they are not, and they have other motives than just finding a Christian mate. So you better proceed with a lot of caution, and when you start out a relationship with somebody, you need to go very slow, and you need to give time to verify if that person that you met is for real, if their faith is for real, so that you do not end up being unequally yoked. You got that? That's the message for the people who are not married. Do not be unequally yoked with believers. Now, believers who are married to somebody that they are in a spiritual mismatch with, you hear this part of the message and now you're just down in the dumps and now you're depressed. And now it's like, well, thanks a lot, Jim. That was a real word of encouragement for me today. Thanks for the word of discouragement, right? (laughs) There is no such thing as a spiritual gift of discouragement. So I wanna give a word of encouragement that's a good word for everybody. There's no spiritual gift of criticism, and there's no spiritual gift of discouragement. We want to encourage each other to live a life God wants us to live. So what about those of you who are already married to someone, and that person is not a follower of Jesus? What if you're married to somebody, and now you're in this spiritual mismatch? What does God want you to do? Because maybe you were younger and dating, like I said before. Maybe you weren't following Christ with all your heart, or you'd You'd, you'd found your way away from God or maybe you'd never come to faith in God and then you, you're, you're now married to this person and then later on in life, you decided to either rekindle your faith or you came to faith in Christ for the first time. What do you do in a situation like that? Because that passage in 2 Corinthians doesn't speak to that. But oh, there's more to the Bible than just 2 Corinthians. Thank God and in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul gives a good word for people, for Christians who find themselves married to somebody who is not a follower of Jesus. And it says that, and if you need your reading glasses, you know, I'd say pull them out right now because there's a lot of text on that one screen up there. But I want you to read along with me. It says, now I'll speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. If a fellow believer, so now we're talking about a Christian, if a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer... And she's willing to continue to live with him. Then, and I set an emphasis here in that yellow, that yellow uh, color font. It says he must not leave her. Right. If you are a believer, you have a wife who's not a believer, that is not your green light to divorce that person and say, well, we're just, we're just incompatible now. It's a spiritual mismatch. God wants me to find somebody who I share the deepest things with in our hearts, and our minds, and in our souls. So that, that's permission for me to divorce somebody. That is not because Paul says, do not leave that person. Do not leave that person. And there's a reason for that. And then it says, and if a believing woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. Now, why? And then Paul explains the reason why. Because God has a greater purpose. God put you together with that non-believing person in life so that you could have a, uh, an influence, a positive spiritual influence on that person's life. And it says in verse 14, for the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. So uh, God wants us to stay married to somebody that we are uh, married to. Okay, Uh, even though you might have some spiritual uh, some spiritual differences, God says to you, hold on to him. Hold on. If you are Christ following spouse, hold on to her. Do not divorce them. The unbelieving. And here's the thing. Here's the blessing that the believing spouse can give to the unbelieving spouse. It says the unbelieving spouse can share in the spiritual blessings of the Christian spouse, much like it, let's say the Christian spouse, just, just run with me on this. This would be kind of cool if it actually happened. Let's say some relative died and you are the Christian who's married to a non-Christian, right? And your, your relative dies and they leave you a million dollars. Now, isn't it interesting? Don't you think what your non-believing spouse would say something like, "Honey, this is so, It's so sad that your relative died, but isn't it such a blessing that we inherited a million dollars?" Right? All of a sudden, the pronoun goes from you to we because they become a, a beneficiary of what you have inherited in your life. And in a similar way, and way more than just financial money, in a similar way, the things that you have from God in your life that He's pouring into you, that can be a blessing to the other person. That can benefit them spiritually. So how many people, here's a question, how many people does it take to make a Christian home? Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 7, it just takes one Everyone else in the home gets the blessings of your Christian presence. It doesn't make them saved, but it does mean that they can be touched and influenced by God's activity in your life. Everybody gets the blessings of your Christian presence. It means that they can be influenced and and be drawn closer in a relationship with God because of what's happening in your life and how you're rubbing off on them. I love this saying. And this is true of any Christian home. It says, you put brick and mortar to it, and you have a house. You put love into it, and now you have a home. But when you put God into that home, now you have a temple. So it's your godly life, Christ follower, lived out in your home that really matters. When you honor God with your life and you practice your faith and love, that influence is going to spill over onto the other people living into your home. Just as one God-centered, spirit-filled person, that person can touch every other person in his or her home. So that's the second category. So the first category was somebody's a single person who's a Christ follower, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Somebody is a Christ follower who's married to a non-believer, do not leave that person, do not divorce them, hold on to that person because your Christian influence can impact that person and those children spiritually. What about the third category of being unequally yoked? Now we're, talking, we're not talking about just dating an unbeliever or being married to an unbeliever. Now it could be any kind of spiritual mismatch in your life. It could be as a child with your parents. It could be with you as a parent and you have a child who has left the faith or is no longer walking with God. Completely different set of values in life. Um, there could be a kind of spiritual mismatch in your family, in your relatives, with your close friends. And, and a word for you today, what kind of hope is there for you? How are you going to have an influence? How is that believing spouse or that believing family member or that believing neighbor or coworker? how are you going to have an influence on somebody who's not in the family of God? And I say that you can have a good influence on their life if you practice this particular acrostic. And it's the acrostic that spells the word help, H-E-L-P. So I want want us to start practicing this acrostic. We um, We can flourish even though we have a spiritual mismatch in our life if we practice this acrostic. The first one is the letter H in the word help, and the H stands for harness the support of others. You need to get a spiritual support system. You need to realize that God never meant you to live and walk the Christian life alone. God made us to live in community, That's why it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 up there, it says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls down, the other person can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. So if you're a believer and you're trying to reach out to somebody who's outside of God's family, You need people around you, fellow followers of Jesus, fellow Christians in your life who know and love the Lord, who can support you, who can counsel you, who can pray with you, who can encourage you along that walk. So the question is, okay, I'm a believer and I'm in a spiritual mismatch with an unbeliever. Somebody in my life is not a believer. How can I have a positive influence on their life? I need to harness the support of others. So the question is, who do you have in your life? Other than your spouse, or who do you have in your life that you can rely on for spiritual support? What kinds of things can you do to support each other? And if you don't have somebody in your life like that who can be a real spiritual support and an anchor for you, then how do you go about finding a person like that? Well, I have good news for you too, because as I said, church life, Christian life was made to live in community. Here at Sebastopol Christian Church, we have a number of life groups. We have a number of small groups of Christ followers who gather weekly to follow His teachings and to support and and encourage and pray for each other. I know of four women's groups that meet during the week. I know of two men's groups that meet during the week, including for us men. There's a group here on Wednesday night. There's another group of men that meet on Friday morning. I only said that for the men because the women seem to get all the announcements. So I'm just trying to (laughs) even out... Even out the scales a little bit, right? So I, I encourage you, get into a community among these friends who can encourage you and give you godly wisdom and perspective. They, these are the kind of people, because what they can help you with, they can help you not become too negative or too uh, discur- dis- discouraged or, or despairing about this hope for your relationship with somebody outside God's family. They can help you not be judgmental with your own spiritual mismatch, Um They can uh, help you realize that, uh, yeah, I happen to be married to a Christian too, but it doesn't mean we have a perfect marriage. We still have to resolve our differences because sometimes that person who in a spiritual mismatch can uh, quote idealize a couple in a Christian marriage and say, "Oh, you guys must not have any problems at all because you both follow Jesus." Anybody give a witness to that and say, "Yeah, well, you know, not totally true," uh, to be if we're honest about it. So you, you you give them a dose of reality. You. You realize that Christian couples are not always perfect and joyful at all times, and their kids are not happy and perfect and well-behaved and lined up in order at all times. And when you tell them to go to bed, they say, yes, mommy, or yes, daddy. They don't always do that either. We have real lives, and we have to uh, figure this out. That's not reality. But we can find a, a support group like that. So harness the support of others. That's the letter H. The next letter is letter E, and that is exercise restraint. When you're married to somebody or you're in a close relationship with somebody outside God's family, you have to exercise restraint because there are times when they pop off and they, something, they say something insulting or uh, disparaging to you and they say something that's like an insult and they really hurt your feelings. You know, the, the very first reaction that we normally have as human beings is, you know what, you hurt my feelings, guess what? I just got the green light to go ahead and reciprocate and hurt your feelings because you deserve it because you hurt my feelings. And it says if you're going to reach somebody outside God's family, maybe they're testing you. Maybe they're tipping over your picture to find out what's inside, right? If they cut you, and I'm not saying literally, this is, a, this is an analogy. If they cut you, are you going to bleed Jesus, right? Are you going to respond in a Christian way when they don't treat you very well? Right. So that that's this idea of exercising restraint. And first Peter tells us, he says, in your hearts. So how does this begin our attitude? It's our attitude, our mindset towards somebody outside God's family. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That's where the word apologetics comes from, right? To give you the reason, to give somebody a reason for the hope that we have. So I hope that those of you who are interested, you can go to Luke's class starting on June 4th at the 1040 hour. It's perfect. You're already in the nine o'clock service. All you gotta do is, is walk forward and go to your left and you'll be in that class at 1040. So be ready to give an answer for those who asks you for the reason for the hope you have. And then it says this, but do this, in other words, Have your heart right with God. Revere Jesus as Lord in your heart. And then it says, when you give an answer to somebody, do this with gentleness and respect. You're going to have to learn to exercise restraint. And please, and and here's another way that we exercise restraint. If you're a believer trying to reach a non-believer, it says, don't shame them. Don't shame them for their behavior. Maybe they don't have the right behavior. Maybe they do some, you know, things that are real self-centered and self-destructive and things like that. But please don't shame them for their behavior. And I'll tell you why. Because why do we always seem to expect non-Christians to act like Christians, Right? We Christians can't even act like Christians half the time. And here we are putting a standard of behavior on somebody who doesn't even acknowledge Jesus as Lord, doesn't even have the Holy Spirit to help them, to empower them to live a godly life. So please exercise restraint. Don't shame them. Don't get all sarcastic and say, well, I'm praying for you. You know, uh-huh, you know, or, uh, uh, you know, you go into their car and you preset all their radio stations to Christian, you know, Christian programming or something like that. Or you, you leave a Bible track in their luggage when they go on a trip. You know, those might be some of these strategies, but I'm telling you, they really in the long run, they don't work. And the other person just kind of grows to resent you. And maybe they even harden their heart a little bit. So please be careful. Exercise some restraint. That's the letter E. What's the letter L in help? So this one's probably the most important one at all, other than P. <laughs> uh, and that is, live your faith. Live your faith. As it says in 1 Peter, Look, talking to Christian wives, trying to reach their husbands who are outside God's family. And Peter gives them this word of wisdom, and he says, "'Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives.'" Notice Notice that they may be won over by the what of their wives? By the words they say? By the browbeating? By the sarcastic, I'm praying for you remarks? No, it says they may be won over by the behavior of their wives. When they see your purity and the reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. But every time Lisa's ready to go to Nordstrom, I pull out this verse, you know. (laughs) And uh, I misappropriate scripture because I actually like it when she dresses nicely. And I like it when she looks beautiful. But we say what really would reach your your non-believing husband is not the outward, it's not the outside of your looks, it's going to be the inside of your character that that he sees is starting to be transformed. When you become a kinder person, a gentler person, a gentle answer who turns away wrath, when when you return a blessing for an insult, when you start having the, the patience where you didn't have any patience before. Believe me, that non-believing spouse or person you're in a relationship with, they're watching you. They are watching you closely. Is what you have for, you say this is so real in your life, is it really real? I'm going to tip the pitcher, like I said, and I want to find out what's on the inside. So let the inner beauty of a a character that is so Christ-like, let that unfading beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, that is the, the character that needs to come forth. That is of great worth in God's sight. The in, and the truth is, and, and remember this word right here, the integrity of your life will speak far more powerfully than any sermon that you ever preach. They're gonna see the way you live your life. There's a story about Lee Strobel, who became a Christian in the 1990s. He was a star reporter for the Chicago Tribune. He was a Yale Law graduate. He was a raging atheist. He was a hard-living, hard-drinking guy. He was married to this lady named Leslie. And somewhere in the 90s, this Christian person became friends with Leslie, and she uh, shared the gospel of Christ with Leslie. Leslie crossed the line of faith. She became a follower of Jesus. And Lee Strobel, instead of saying, wow, that's really great, you're becoming a Christian, he he had the opposite reaction. He got mad. He got mad at her and he said, you ripped me off. This is a bait and switch. You're not the person I married anymore. And he got really angry with her and he, and, he, and he even like made fun of her and he belittled her and tried to get her to turn back from following Jesus. He did this for a while. But what turned him around wasn't the words that she said back to him. It wasn't the Ravi Zacharias answer that was perfect that said, oh, now I understand. It was her lifestyle. He said, wow, you transformed and you became more Christlike right in front of me over the weeks and the months as you follow Jesus. And that softened his heart and eventually it led him to say, I gotta find out for myself whether this Jesus thing is real or not. And it led him to a spiritual search and his own investigation and he bowed his knee to Jesus and became a Christ follower. And some of his research that he did is found in two great books, The Case for Christ and The Case for Faith. And I recommend those books to you. So the integrity of your life like it did for Leslie Strobel, the integrity of her life spoke more powerfully to her husband Lee Strobel, atheist, than any sermon that she ever preached. So live your faith. Harness the support of others. Um, exercise restraint. Is the E. The L is live your faith, and then the final letter, the P, is pray, pray, and keep on praying. Just like it says in First Thessalonians chapter five, verses sixteen to eighteen, it says, "Rejoice always." If you can't seem to memorize Scripture, I just want to pause right there and say, here's a great opportunity. Two words. That's all you got to know in the right order. Rejoice always. You just memorize the Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Okay. Rejoice always. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray continually. When you are spiritually mismatched with somebody, that person needs your prayers more than ever. Pray for yourself. Pray for extra patience with that person. Pray that God would help you love them even when they're not very lovable and when you don't feel like loving them. Pray for God to change you from the inside out, to change you in ways that never would have happened unless Christ was in your life and working in your life. And so you pray for yourself, and then here's a prayer you can pray for the other person outside of God's family. It comes from the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel chapter 36, and it says... God says this verse to the house of Israel when he says, I'm bringing the new covenant. And when the new covenant happens and the new deal with God happens, God is going to move powerfully in the life of his people. And he says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove you from your heart of stone. In other words, God says, I'm taking out that heart of stone and I'm going to replace the heart of stone with a heart of flesh. So how do you pray for somebody like that? Lord, please put a new heart and a new spirit in that person. Lord, remove them, soften that heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. You can keep praying that for the other person. So when you have a marriage where a person is a follower of Jesus, the other person is not. The person who knows and follows Jesus, that person has the ability and the opportunity to be a blessing to the rest of his or her family. It can happen if we practice H-E-L-P, harness the support of others. We exercise restraint. We live out our faith. It's got to be real and genuine and authentic. It can't be phony at all. And then we pray, pray, pray for the other person. Now, I want to say a word to a person who may be in this room, maybe a person listened to me online via live stream, a person who might be what we would call on the other side of the fence when it comes to faith. What about the person who has not yet crossed the line of faith? What if you're spiritually mismatched and you're in a relationship with somebody who follows Jesus and loves him? What are you going to do with that reality in your life? It could be very difficult for you. You know, it might be confusing to you, this change that's happening in another person. You might be skeptical. You might wonder, is the change in this person for real or not? You might be concerned that that Christian is going to now look down upon you and like judge you and condemn you for your lack of faith or your lifestyle. You may think that now your kids are not going to respect you anymore because, because you haven't yet come to that point of faith in Jesus Christ. You see that your, your family values are starting to be divided. Now the values that he or she has is different than the values that you have. What do you do in a situation like that? If you're thinking this way, if you're that place in your life and you're in this relationship, I just want to say one word to you. It's a word on the screen, and that is the word maybe. Maybe. Just consider the word maybe. Maybe there is real change happening to that person that you care about. Maybe there is some good evidence that the Christian faith is true. Maybe there's some things that you need to check out for yourself and investigate about God and the Christian faith before you just write it off as being a, a religious fanatic or a kook. Maybe soon you may come to faith in Jesus just like that person that you're connected to in a close relationship. And maybe, just maybe, you'll cross that line of faith and maybe that spiritual mismatch can become a spiritual match. That's what I've been praying for this week. I said, Lord... If there are uh, relationships out there in our congregation and those listening who are in spiritual mismatches, Lord, I pray that they become spiritual matches because people uh, turn their their eyes toward God in faith and uh, they realize how much God loves you. They realize how much Jesus wants to give you this matchless gift of his son and, and to be able to follow him and have eternal life in him. Maybe you've come to that place where, you know what, I'm tired of of putting God, you know, at arm's length. I'm tired of of saying later, I'm not interested now. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. Maybe you don't want to live that way anymore. Maybe you are ready to come to Jesus. And if you are, Jesus has these great words of promise to you. He says in John's Gospel, he says, Whoever is thirsty... Whoever's thirsty, if you realize how empty your your life is without God and you want to know what it's like to have a living relationship with your creator, Jesus says, whoever is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The Bible says, whoever confesses with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. Whoever believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, that person will be saved. That person could be you today. If you're ready to take that step of faith, then I invite everyone, I invite everybody in this room, let's just bow our heads for a word of prayer. Let's talk to God. That promise, whoever confesses Jesus as Lord with their mouth and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, that person will be saved. What a tremendous promise of God, and that can be yours today. If you want that, if you want to say yes to Jesus... And start to follow him. I just ask that you would pray along with me. Some words like this. Just pray along with me. Say, Jesus, I ask that you would come into my life and change me. I ask you to come live inside me. Please forgive me for all the bad things I've done. Lord, I ask that you'd make me the kind of person that you want me to be. And Lord, today I... I confess, I acknowledge you as the Lord of my life. Today, I give my life over to you, and I become your follower. Lord, help me to walk in your steps. Help me to live the kind of life that you want me to live. Thank you for answering my prayer. Thank you for coming into my life and keeping your promises. And I pray all these things in your name. Amen.